The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. If you take your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, I'm going to try to do something I've never done before. I've preached since I was 19 years old. God called me at 10 years old, vividly, really. I asked, I talked to my mother about it, said God's called me to do something. She said, go back and tell him you'll do it. I did. I had no idea what he was doing. He did. And here I am. Unbelievable. Unbelievable ride. Romans chapter 8, I've never preached, tried to preach a whole chapter. Nobody in his right mind would try to preach a whole chapter of Romans 8 in the same service. I'm going to give it a shot. Our people up front here acquiring everything have given me some extra time for your sakes because we know that you want to eat on time no matter what. We know you're spiritual people. And so we want to let you out on your normal time, but I am starting about 10 minutes early, and I do want to thank everybody involved in that. I didn't mean to rush anybody, really. It was a great song, great everything. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to do my best on this, which may not be good enough, but it's all all I can do, and the Holy Spirit will come, and I know his word will be blessed. There's eight reasons in Romans chapter 8 why we will, as born-again believers, never be under condemnation. Eight reasons in Romans chapter 8. I have done this mini-series. It was only interrupted by Hal Hightower on the revival. Otherwise, I would have had all three in a row. And we have in Romans chapter 6, we see very carefully Paul through the blessed Holy Spirit um, shows the power of sin has been broken for the believer. Am I, are you happy about that? I'm happy about that today. The power of sin has been broken. I'm no longer a slave of sin. I am able to choose and reckon myself dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Now, if I don't, that's my choice. I've chosen not to do that, and I sin. Now, just in case, Romans Romans 6, Romans 6 is so wonderful, so idealistic, so fabulous that the believer may get the idea that you'll never have to tr- have any trouble with sin. That's why there's Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, basically, where Paul goes into the practical reality of our daily struggle with sin, and he explains it through the Holy Spirit's clear ending with, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this bo- the body of this death? And, and, and we say, thanks be the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Romans chapter 8, we see, uh, through the blessed Holy Spirit and inspiration of Scripture, we see that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh of the Spirit. And all I can say is, glory to God, hallelujah. And so let me go, and and I'm going to try this in a a reasonable pace, but I want to go through the eight 
biblical reasons why, as a born-again believer, we are no longer under condemnation and confident that we're not under condemnation. Because the old devil torments you. He can't, he can't damn you. Once you've been saved, you can't be damned to hell because Jesus saved you. But the devil will make you feel like it. And he'll try to make you uncomfortable. And he'll try to make you afraid. And fear indicates no love because perfect love casts out fear. And God loves you perfectly. There is therefore now no condemnation in them who are in Christ Jesus, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation in them which are in Christ Jesus. I just said that. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I'm reading verses 1 through 4. This is the first section. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that they may be free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There are two groups of people in the world, just two. The Bible is very clear on this. There is the group of folks who are in Christ Jesus, and there are a group of folks who are under Christ Jesus. The first group that are in Christ Jesus trust Jesus by faith. He now is their substitute, their propitiation, their advocate, their atonement, their sin offering. And that group dwells in Christ, covered by and protected by Christ. The second group, and that's everybody else, uh, faces Jesus Christ eventually as their judge. The Bible says he is the judge of the living and the dead, the judge of the all, all the earth. This is not up for debate. It's a fact. And, and having trusted in somehow or another their own abilities or possibly having trusted in a lie called maybe Islam or Buddhism or, or Confucianism or humanism or any of that other stuff out there that says they have the way they have the answer that indeed are not the answer because you know this about truth. There can only be one truth, but there can be a thousand lies. And there are. There are. People say, why are there so many religions? Why are there so many churches? Because you can lie a lot of different ways. And the devil seeks to damn you and misrepresent this plan of salvation that God has instituted through Jesus Christ, his son. And if he can get you to go off that course in any way and somehow miss it, he's happy about that. That's how bad he is. So the second group, which somehow trusts in themselves or in a false religion or a lie, will someday stand in front of Jesus but without him. That's made clear in Romans, Revelation chapter 20. We in Christ will not be exposed to condemnation for our sins. Not because we don't deserve condemnation like everybody else for their sins, but because we're in Christ. And Christ takes that condemnation. That's what he did on Calvary. Because Christ represented us federally for our sins. Christ presently represents us vitally uh, for our sins on the right hand of the Father. And because by faith we are joined as one his, in his body, which he is the head. I am and you are, as a born-again believer, part of the body of Christ, which he is the head. And there's nothing about Jesus is going to be condemned. Consequently, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Number two. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are begun 
and sustained by the Holy Spirit, verses 5 through 11, if you're making notes. In other words, we're begun by the Holy Spirit, not by the flesh, not by the power of positive thinking, not by pulling ourselves up somehow by our own good works or bootstraps, as it were, but by the Holy Spirit. Let's read 5 through 11. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. People born again, people not. But even the Christians sometimes can follow the flesh, but not, not like the unsaved person. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it cannot be subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, get that, cannot please God. But ye, born-again believers, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell, that's a residence, in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is what? None of his. And if Christ be in you, the body uh, body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Our seat of control has changed. Why do we have no condemnation? Why are we confident of no condemnation? Because the seat of our control has changed. Just like a ship, a mighty, mighty oil tanker, over a thousand feet long, is guided by a relatively small little rudder. Our ship is guided now as born-again believers by the blessed Holy Spirit. And we go wherever the Spirit turns or leads us. The wind bloweth where it listeth or willeth, but you hear the sound thereof, neither can tell where it comes or goes. Such are they that are born of the Spirit of God. We are spiritually minded now. Thus we live according to its law. The Spirit of God in in the Bible says is our earnest. And you people in real estate know that's a down payment saying that I'm sincere about buying a piece of property. And God says, I'm sincere about redeeming you to myself to the place where I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to dwell with you and to do a lot of things, of course, to guide you to all truth. That's God's earnest, God's down payment to know that I have security is that I have the Holy Spirit within me. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you're none of his. It's not a second blessing. It's the only blessing. The Spirit is God's pledge. The Bible says we're sealed by God's Spirit under the day of redemption. The flesh will die. This body in which I dwell will die and stay in this world. It was made from dust and the chemicals of this world, and it's going back to the dust and the chemicals of this world. And all of the lust of this old body is going back to the earth from which it came. Why? Because it cannot please God. And nothing that cannot please God is going to heaven. And that's why this body's got to go. I cannot stay. If I don't die, I don't get to go to heaven. I got to either die or be transformed in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump. That's why work salvation, which by the way is 95% of world religion, 
work salvation insults the living God who gave the Holy Spirit to save us. Works presume acceptable sacrifice, but when only Jesus is the acceptable sacrifice, and the only way you can appropriate his sacrifice to you is by what he prescribes is through simple childlike faith in him and what he did. And when you place your simple childlike faith in the Lord Jesus and what he did, his works, then are applied unto you and you are declared justified. Not guilty. And that's why we have confidence. The second reason. Third reason, there is therefore now no condemnation there in Christ Jesus is because, is it warm in here or am I just working a sweat up? Do me a degree on each side. Girls, it's okay. It'll be all right. It'll be all right, girls. Bring some clothes. No summer dresses. Leggings are not pants. Just threw that out there. Number three, we're confident because we're children of God. We're children of God. Look in verse 12 to 17. We are joined to God by birth, not by our works. If I was, let me look up here. If I was confident in my works, I could have no confidence. Because I may live by works until I hit my finger with a a hammer right there, hit my finger with a hammer, swear, have a heart attack, die, and go to hell. If you're saved by works, you can be lost by bad. If you're saved by good works, you can be lost by bad works. But if I'm saved by the grace of God, without works, then I can only be undone by God. And he said he's not going to do it. Verse 12 to 17, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, but if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For if you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, the conclusion is, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. We are debtors to the Spirit for birthing us. Consequently, we are grateful, and that gratitude motivates us as children to seek the light. The Spirit of God now that dwells in the born-again believer seeks the light. Just like a baby that is born seeks his mother's breast for milk and nourishment, so we go to the Father crying, Abba, Abba. Give it to me. Our new nature will not be satisfied with darkness anymore. How do you know you're saved? Cigarettes won't be what they used to. The alcohol won't be what it's used to. The pornography will be repulsive. The things of the world will grow dim in the light of his glory and grace. (laughs) I may just... Have a spell. 
I think of the old been up in Alaska, salmon fishing, a couple, two, three times. Maybe three times, maybe two times, I don't remember. And I've seen them old mighty salmon, king salmon. They make their way out of the ocean up into the smallest of the streams, and they said they die. But let me tell you something about a salmon, you're not going to stop it. And we, like those mighty salmon, have been given an instinct to go to the heaven. We've been given an instinct to go to our birthplace. And nothing's going to stop us. You will have to kill us to stop us. And we're confident. We have confidence that there's now no, therefore now no condemnation because we are children of God. Well, how do we know that? Our nature has been changed. Even suffering will not stop us. We are confident, number one, that there's no condemnation because we're in Christ. Number two, because we're begun and sustained by the Holy Spirit. Number three, because we're children of God by nature. And number four, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus because we are sustained by his promises. Look at verse 18 to 23. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that should be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Do you know your dog, your cat, your squirrels looking at you going, when are we going to get, when are we going to get the manifestation? When's the, one of these people going to be finally revealed so that we can be revealed with them? For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who was subjected to the same in hope, because the creature itself also should be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and everybody in pain said. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. You young people, you hear us old people walking around, and we don't hear too well anymore, and we can't even hear ourselves groan, but we're grown. I remember my grandfather used to make a lot of noises, and I could hear a pin drop in a windstorm, and he couldn't hardly hear his car running. He used to floor the thing to try to feel if it was still running. And and, and I remember him groaning. He'd go, oh, oh. Uh, you know, he'd get up and go, oh. I'd be like, what is with this old man? Now I know. And look at verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the spirits, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. What are we groaning about? Waiting for the adoption to wit, which is the redemption of our body. We have the promise of the resurrection. There is therefore now no condemnation of them or in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we are leaning on the promises of the Bible, which ultimately culminate in the resurrection of the old to the new. The temporal sufferings of this life can be devastating. But they're not able to quench the promised glory. I don't care how bad it gets, how long it gets, how deep it gets. There's nothing in this old world that can quench the promised glory that's to come. 
In fact, I find born-again believers that go down deeper and stay down longer come up happier because they've been dwelling in Beulah land. And here we thought, we oh, they're, I feel so bad for them. Are you kidding? They're walking through the valley of the shadow of death with Jesus. His rod, his staff comfort them. Their cup runneth over. Goodness and mercy dwells with them. And they know they're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some of you in prosperity don't know that. You don't have that. You're kind of lukewarm. Listen to Paul's disdain about the suffering of this present life, and maybe nobody ever recordedly suffered like Paul. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. Do a little work in the Greek on that. You're going to find that eternal way to glory is a, is a, there's two words for a weight in the Bible. It's using the word too heavy to bear. There's one word for weight that says a, a weight that should be born. And then there's another word for weight that says a weight's too heavy to bear. That's the word that says a weight too heavy to bear. The eternal weight of glory that's coming your way is too much for you to take. You're going to heaven, and when God finally dishes out what he has for you, it's going to be too much to take. I see on TV those winners of the Reader's Digest. I scorn them. They jump up and down. Ah, 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 ah. All my relatives are going to come borrow money from me now. Ah, ah. Pretty soon none of them will talk to me, and they'll hate me. Ah. They've written books on getting money suddenly. It don't work good. You took all the money in the world and you evenly distributed it to everyone like Sanders wants to do? In a matter of one year, the same rich people have it back because they have a gift. We have the promises of God. And we and those promises are not pie in the sky. They give us a sense of confidence. They give us a sense of confidence. So let me review. Number one, we have no we believe there's therefore now no condemnation for them are in Christ. Number two, begun in the and sustained by the Holy Spirit. Number three, those that are called the children of God. Number four, those who are sustained by God's promises for the future. And number five, those who are sustained by hope. Verse 24, 28, let's read. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is not seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what did he yet hope for? For if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. We know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. For he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, and they're called according to his purpose. Ooh, verse 28. How many here can roughly quote verse 28? Most of you. All things work together for good to them that love God, and they're called according to his purpose. That's our hope. How do we have confidence so there's no condemnation? Because of the hope in God, what he says said about us. Hope in God is a sweet thing. 
We have hope that all this stuff will work eventually out for God's plan and good. We love God. We believe we're called according to his purpose. We're not perfect, but we believe with all our heart that it's his, it's his thing and he's done it for us and we're saved by the grace. And in other words, God uses the sufferings of this present time in our life as guideposts. I think of the illustration of God guiding us is if you take an ant, like an old carpenter ant, you want this ant to go from this point to this point, how do you get him to do it? I never met one that would do it. But what I have done as a kid is, when the ant started going that way, I put my finger over there, he hit that seeming impenetrable wall, which was grievous to his soul. And he moved this way. He started going this way, and I put my finger over there. He hits another impenetrable wall of suffering. And it's grievous to him. And then I go over here and I put another one, and I do 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 another one, and he ends up where I want him to be. That's what God's doing for you. Now, I don't know what his finger is going to be. I don't know what that wall is going to be, but I can guarantee you they will be there. Because our blessed uh, Heavenly Father loves me more than anybody loves me. And He sent His only begotten Son. And Jesus is on His right hand making intercession for you every minute by minute as the day goes by. And as I try to go off to the left, I run into something that makes me go off back over to the right. And then He makes you run into something that makes me go back to the left. And though my course towards heaven will not look like this, it looks like this. I know that the end of it by hope will be for good. So I have confidence. Sixthly, there is therefore no, not, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, verse 29 and 30, because of God's sovereignty. Because nobody pushes God around. Amen? Look at 29 and 30. For whom he did foreknow, and I want you to know the word foreknow means prognosis. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them also called them, he called them, he justified them, he justified and glorified. Nobody's bigger than God. When I sit up in God's lap and I feel his muscle, he's got the biggest muscle of anybody out there. We have therefore now no condemnation because our God is the God of all that is. Because he can foreknow and predestinate and nobody else can do that. Nobody else can do that. He's the beginning and the ending. The Alpha and the Omega. Nobody else is that way. And that gives me great confidence. Now look, folks, let me just say this. I don't have an ounce of John Calvin in me. I'm not related to him and I don't believe what he wrote. But I can tell you this, I believe that there is a God that is sovereign and powerful, and he's working all things after the, the counsel of his will. It gives me security because I put my trust and faith in Christ, that he is God of very God, and Lord of lords, and King of kings, and the word of God. Seventh, there is therefore now no condemnation of them or in Christ Jesus because God the Father gave his son for us. I have been waiting to get to this the whole time. Ooh, as Vern used to say, ooh-wee. Look at verse 31, 34. What should we say then to these things? If God be for us, 
who shall be against us? God, he, God, that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall any, there's four questions here. Who shall anything to the God, the charge of God's elect? It's God the Father that justifieth. He's not going to. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again, even at the right hand of, of God, who maketh intercession for us. There's four reasons why there's no condemnation. Number one, Christ's death removes all grounds for our condemnation. When you trust in Christ, by simple childlike faith, believe that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day for you to take all your sins away. And in some way or another, in fashion, you say, Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner, or, or remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Or somewhere or another that you meet God, and your finger touches his, and you're birthed into his kingdom. Ooh, that's big. That's big. All the grounds for condemnation are gone. The devil says, what about that wicked sinner? And he says, what sinner? I'm looking. Remember, I'm now in Christ. I like the song, I've taken shelter in the time of the storm. Oh, the storm's coming. Every person outside of Christ, there's a storm coming that they'll not want to face, and my heart breaks for them, and I don't want them to be there. Secondly, Christ's resurrection proves the sacrifice was accepted. If Christ had not been resurrected, and he'd be like uh, Muhammad in the grave seal, or like all the rest of them, the religious leaders, like, like Jim Jones or like uh, Koresh or like all the rest of these guys who said they were the Christ, they're still in the grave. Uh, it was only one that God said, This is my son, hear ye him. And he raised him from the dead. Thirdly, Christ's position. He's on the right hand of the Father. That's a place of power. And then fourthly, Christ's intercession. It's a place of it's a place of influence. On the right hand of the Father, the Bible says he makes intercession for us. So we have two people making intercession for us. The Holy Spirit groans within us making intercession for us. And then Jesus Christ on the right hand of the Father is making intercession for us. Man, with news like that, how can you lose? And lastly here, there is therefore now no condemnation of them are in Christ Jesus. And that's because of the unchangeable love of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 35 and 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who, who, who? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? It is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Nobody loved you like Jesus loves you. I am persuaded, Paul said, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 33, it says, no one can accuse us. In verse 34, it says, no one can condemn us. In verse 35, it says, no one can separate us. 
It lists 17 potential things that could separate you normally, and it says none of these 17 things can do it, and there's no nothing and no one that can do it. And all I want to end with is say, child of God, what are you worried about this morning? What are you worried about? There is therefore now no condemnation of them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Those who are in Christ Jesus are not condemned by the grace, by the law of Moses. We stand uncondemned. He was condemned, but not us, because we're in him. Secondly, because we're begun and sustained by the Holy Spirit, we're not saved by works. God forbid that you, you would rely on, oh, I'm going to God someday and he's going to do this. Oh, God forbid. What an insult to the grace of God. Thirdly, because you're children by birth. We, have a, we didn't join a religion. We joined a person. Fourthly, because we're sustained by God's promises, the resurrection's coming. I like the song, by the way, this morning, which I didn't mention that he picked. Fifthly, we're confident because we're sustained by hope in the adoption and the promises of God. Sixthly, we're sustained because our God is sovereign. He predestinated us because he foreknew us. And seventhly, because God gave his son for us. And if God gave his son for us, who's bigger than God that's going to condemn us? Nobody. And then lastly, number eight, because Christ's unchangeable love for us. Don't you love it? The Bible says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're fickle. We're fickle, fickle, fickle. The old man here and trustworthy as far as you can throw him. But by the grace of God, the spirit of the living God is trustworthy. God the Father will keep what he says and do what he says. And his love does not change for us. And if you're here without Christ and these eight, eight confidences this morning, you can come at invitation time and say, I want this. But it's not a thing that you're coming for. It's a person. I want Jesus as my Savior. I want to trust in Christ with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind and with all my strength. You may not know much. You don't have to. Isn't that beautiful? It shows you how much God loves you. You, didn't have to, you don't have to be intelligent to be saved or I'd have never made it. You don't have to have, you, a little child, five years old, four years old, can understand that he's a lost sinner and needs to, in place of salvation because I was saved at five. How many here were saved at five, around five years old? Look at my hands. How many were saved at 10 and under? How many were saved at 20 and under? Don't have to have a lot of smarts. I mean, how smart are you at 20? That's the truth. The older I get, the dumber I get. Now, at 16, we had all knowledge. But past that, you go downhill. Man. Let me say this. Will you trust Jesus today? 
Why would anybody reject this? Why would anybody say, no, I think I'll just go it on my own? Why would you do that? Who would ever compel you to do something like that? The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Would you come? As the organist comes up here to play, would you come? Would you come? Would you make the decision today? We've had we got off a whole week of revival, Christian. Maybe the Holy Spirit's wrestled with you all week long, and you've been playing around on the edges of being a Christian with this kind of privilege. Does this not demand my all? Does something like this not demand my life? Does it not demand my future, my life? Am I not, as Paul said, a debtor? But I don't work because I'm a debtor. I work because of gratitude. I'm thrilled to be able to serve God today. I'm thrilled to be able to tell people about Jesus out there during the week. I'm thrilled to be able to pass gospel tracts out. Oh, I'm thrilled to read my Bible through. Preacher, I'm tired of you wanting me to read my Bible through. Man, I'm trying to do, are you kidding me? Don't insult God by trying to make it a duty. I get to read the book again this year. Woo! Beware of disdaining God's things that come at such a price. You come. Give your life to Jesus. Put it down. Nail the thing down. Drive the stake down. Say, I'm going to live for Jesus. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to live for Jesus. The Bible says it. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to read that book, find out what God says. Oh, God. Ooh, 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 that makes God happy. That makes God happy who gave this and his blessed spirit to you. Ooh, you want to make God happy this year? You know what I say? If you make God happy, I don't think you've got to worry about anything. And if you say, I want to, I want to read your book that you gave and wrote for me, the people died and shed their blood and lost everything they had, burned at a stake. I think I'm going to read that. The first thing you did this year is the first one of the good things you did. You made God happy with you. He's going in the right. That's my boy. That's my girl. Going in the right direction. Going in the right direction, going to do the right thing. God, uh, Gabriel, go down there and knock his socks off. Father, help us today. May you move now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. You come.